the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this final weekend of Advent. Next week, of course, is Christmas, the birth of Jesus, our Savior and Redeemer. Before I review the news highlights of the past week, let me tell you about the special I've prepared for this weekend. December 10th was the feast day of the Holy House of Loreto. This is my very favorite shrine in Italy, and I've visited on several occasions. According to tradition, this Marian shrine is the home in which Mary lived, in which the angel Gabriel appeared to her, announcing she would become the mother of God and the home she shared with Jesus and Joseph. It was transported to this Italian hill town overlooking the Adriatic on the night of December 10, 1294. As I prepared this special, I felt myself leaning against the stone walls of this holy house, as I've done on every visit, praying to Mary, running my hands over the stones, as I imagined that she and Jesus and Joseph did countless times. I hope you sense the awesomeness of this home as I tell its story. Now, let's turn to the week's news highlights. Sunday, December 11th. In post-Angelus remarks, as he addressed thousands of faithful in St. Peter's Square, Francis commented on International Mountain Day and invited all people of goodwill to protect and care for mountains. Of this year's theme, Women Move Mountains, he said, It is true. Women move mountains. And this reminds us of the role of women in caring for the environment, in preserving the traditions of mountain peoples from whom we learn the sense of community and walking together. Francis also asked for prayers for South Sudan as armed conflict escalates in the country's upper Nile state, forcing thousands of people to flee their homes. His appeal comes as he prepares to undertake an ecumenical pilgrimage of peace to the East African country. Monday, December 12th, Pope Francis welcomed members of the Italian Union of Blind and Partially Sighted Persons as they prepare to celebrate their patron, St. Lucy, on December 13th. He said St. Lucy, who had her eyes plucked out to avoid marriage to a pagan before dying, reminds us with her example that the highest dignity of the human person consists in bearing witness to the truth, following one's conscience whatever the cost, without duplicity or compromise. This means being on the side of the light, serving the light, as the very name Lucy evokes. Also Monday, the Holy Father had an audience with members of a French group dedicated to Jewish-Christian dialogue and collaboration between the two religious traditions. He stressed the importance of mutual respect and encouraged members to persevere on this path of dialogue, fraternity, and joint initiatives. This is especially true in these hostile times in which attitudes of closure and rejection of the other are becoming more numerous, not least with the worrying resurgence of anti-Semitism, particularly in Europe. Also Monday, 
Pope Francis, in a letter addressed to all heads of state, invited them to make a symbolic gesture of clemency towards prison inmates, our brothers and sisters who are deprived of their liberty and who are held eligible to benefit from such a provision. He asked for a gesture of clemency so that this time marked by tensions, injustice, and conflicts may be open to the grace that comes from the Lord. Monday evening at 6 p.m., Pope Francis presided at Mass in St. Peter's Basilica for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. He urged people across the Americas to look to her as a model for building a culture that cares for everyone, including migrants seeking a better life. Nearly five centuries ago, said the Pope, at a complicated and difficult time for the inhabitants of the New World, the Lord wanted to transform the upheaval brought about by the encounter between two different worlds into a recovery of meaning and dignity, into openness to the gospel. Francis said our own troubled times of wars, injustice, famine, poverty, and suffering make our horizon seem bleak and disconcerting. But despite all this, God reminds us that even now is a propitious time of salvation as the Lord calls us to embrace fraternity and set aside selfishness. Wednesday, December 14th. At the general audience, Pope Francis began the final phase of his series of catechesis on discernment, reflecting on the attitude of vigilance. There's a genuine risk, he said, that the evil one could ruin everything. If vigilance is lacking, there is a very high risk that all will be lost. This risk is not primarily psychological but spiritual, a real snare of the evil spirit who waits till we become complacent in order to ensnare us. At the end of the audience, Francis called on people to renew their closeness to our Ukrainian brothers and sisters who are suffering greatly, to help them with humanitarian aid and keep them in our hearts and prayers throughout Advent and Christmas. He suggested we celebrate a more humble Christmas and gift exchange and send what we have saved to help Ukrainians who desperately need assistance due to the extreme cold, illness, lack of doctors and medical facilities, and now hunger. Thursday, December 15th. In meeting the young members and officials of Italian Catholic Action, Pope Francis reiterated the importance of teaming up in a world that tends to isolate and divide people. He expressed his gratitude to Catholic Action leaders and educators for their work for the human and Christian growth of the younger generation. Also Thursday, Pope Francis welcomed newly appointed ambassadors to the Holy See of Belize, the Bahamas, Thailand, Norway, Mongolia, Niger, Uganda, and Sudan. He underscored their responsibility to contribute to the common good of the entire human family, saying, you can help shine a light into the darkest corners of the world. Especially in these days, marked by the continued problems associated with the global health crisis and by the entrenched violent conflicts around the world, the concerted action of the whole family of nations and the work of diplomacy are required more than ever. Friday, December 16, Pope Francis's message for the World Day of Peace, celebrated annually on January 1st, the Solemnity of Mary, was released Friday. In the message entitled, No One Can Be Saved Alone, Combating COVID-19 Together, Embarking Together on Paths of Peace, 
The Holy Father recalled that all crises are interconnected, and we must not forget any of them, but work for the good of humanity. Also Friday, the Vatican announced that Pope Francis will give his Beatitude, Euronymus II, the Greek Orthodox Archbishop of Athens in all Greece, three fragments of Parthenon sculptures that have been kept in the Vatican museums for centuries. He wants to do so, said the announcement, as a concrete sign of a sincere desire to continue on the ecumenical journey of witness to the truth. According to the Vatican Museum's website, three marble fragments from the Parthenon's decorative sculptures arrived in the Vatican's collection in the 19th century. The fragments include part of a head of a horse from a sculpture of Athena's chariot, as well as the heads of sculptures of two men. Well, those are the news highlights of this past week at the Vatican, but I can't end without greeting Pope Francis, who on Saturday, December 17th, turns 86. He also celebrated 53 years as a priest earlier this week. Tanti auguri, Holy Father. Now, stay here for my special on the Holy House of Loretto. This is Toya Hall, Vice President of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Radio has the power to transform people's lives by proclaiming the fullness of truth with love and clarity. Catholic Radio equips the faithful to address the problems that face our world today and from a uniquely Catholic perspective. Daily doses of Catholic Radio helps to build strong and faithful souls for Holy Mother Church. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio. Now more than ever. How are you listening to EWTN Radio right now? Have you ever wished you could listen on a local radio station? Maybe our Lord is speaking to your heart to help make that happen. Don't let a lack of experience hold you back. Find out how you can help start a Catholic radio station where you live. Powered by the truth of the church and EWTN's dynamic radio programming. Email Steve at this address, radio at EWTN.com. The power of prayer simply means that words have an effect. For example, when a couple says, I do, it literally changes two people to becoming one in marriage. When you say, I love you, it changes us and it gives us value. The power of prayer is in the words and in the sentiment, but it's also in the fact that God, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, answers our prayers. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to my special on the Holy House of Loretto. Here, the Word was made flesh. The Holy House has a feast day, and it's December 10th of every year. We've just passed that feast day, but I do want to tell you about this amazing shrine. Several years ago, as part of a series I was writing on shrines in Italy, I visited the Holy House of Loretto. It was my first trip to the Marquet region and to this Marian shrine, and it was a never-to-be-forgotten weekend. Pope John Paul once said that the Holy House of Loretto is not an icon of abstract truth, but an event and a mystery, the incarnation of the Word. It is with deep emotion that when entering the revered chapel, one reads the words above the altar, Hic verbum caro factum est, here the Word was made flesh. 
One of my visits was with the women of wine, women in the new evangelization. We visited the shrine of the Holy House as part of a pilgrimage. Once again, it was a beautiful, almost mystical experience. We had arrived from Assisi, a two-hour bus ride, just in time for the 10 a.m. Mass, after which we had more than 90 minutes to explore the Basilica and the Holy House and have quiet time for further prayer. We explored in small groups of three or four, admiring the magnificent side chapels and those of the apse, but spent most of our time in Mary's house. At one point, I spotted a Basilica volunteer and stopped to ask her where the American chapel was. In wonderful English, she replied, Come, I'll show you. When we got to the chapel, Kathy, one of our group was already there, and Sabrina, the guide, spent the next 15 minutes telling us glorious stories and historic details about the Holy House. We were riveted and felt so privileged by her presence. She also showed us several other chapels, in particular the stunning Spanish chapel, before we had to meet our group at 1230. The Holy House of Loreto has, in fact, been one of the world's premier shrines dedicated to Mary for over 700 years. According to tradition, the home in which Mary lived, in which the angel Gabriel appeared to her, announcing she would become the mother of God, and the home she shared with Jesus and Joseph, was transported by angels to this Italian hill town overlooking the Adriatic on the night of December 10, 1294. In the 3rd century, Mary's dwelling in Nazareth was already used as a place of worship. The site of the Incarnation then consisted of a grotto, venerated today in the Basilica of the Annunciation in Nazareth, and an adjacent three-walled house over which a synagogue had been built. By the 5th century, a more solid basilica had been constructed, and by the 12th century, it was protected by the majestic Basilica of the Crusades. Tradition says that when the Crusaders, protectors of holy places, were expelled from Palestine in 1291, the safety of the Holy House was in doubt. It was thus transported, and legend says angels had a hand in this, first to Illyria, that's modern-day Croatia, and then in 1294 to Loreto, a laurel-covered hill in what were then the Papal States. The name Loreto, in fact, comes from the Italian laurus, meaning laurel. The adjective is Loretan. According to Capuchin Father Giuseppe Santarelli, author of numerous books on this shrine, recent findings show that the so-called translation, the move, of the house to Loreto occurred not through angelic ministrations, but through human intervention. A recently discovered document from 1294, in fact, testifies that one Niceforo Angelo, the ruler of Epiro, gave his daughter as part of her dowry for her marriage to the son of King Charles of Naples numerous precious possessions, including the holy stones carried away from the house of Our Lady, the Virgin Mother of God. Other documents from the same period assert that a 13th century family named Angelo or D'Angeli saved the stones of the Holy House of Nazareth from destruction by Muslims and then had them transported to Loreto in the Papal States for safekeeping. Angelo means angel in Italian, and D'Angeli means of the angels. The part of Our Lady's house which can be seen today, the original three stone walls, is encased in a rectangular, ornately sculpted marble enclosure called a screen, 
which was commissioned by Pope Julius II in the 16th century and built according to a design by Bramante. The western external wall forms the backdrop for the shrine's main altar. The house itself is quite small, about 12 by 28 feet. Today there's an altar where the original house opened up onto the grotto. Above the altar is a small statue of Our Lady with Child, clothed in the traditional Dalmatic. The original 14th century statue, carved from cedar wood from Lebanon and darkened over the centuries by candle smoke, was destroyed by fire in 1921. The current statue was carved from a Lebanese cedar from the Vatican Gardens and was painted to resemble the earlier Madonna, though it is somewhat darker. The three original stone walls are barely nine feet high. The masonry above them was added at a later date to accommodate a vaulted ceiling to make it more suitable for worship. Archaeological studies have revealed that the house had no foundations and was set high on a public road. Studies have also shown that the stonework is indigenous to Palestine and that the walls bear graffiti, words that are etched or written in stone, similar to writings in Palestine and especially Nazareth. One, for example, bears an inscription in Greek with two words that seem Hebrew, Lamed and Wah, W-A-W, that say, O Jesus Christ, Son of God. This same invocation has been found in the Grotto of Conan in Nazareth, alongside the Grotto of the Annunciation. About 60 graffiti have been found, many of which are considered by experts to be similar to those of the Judeo-Christians in the Holy Land, including Nazareth of ancient times. The technique used for the outer finish of some of the stones is similar to that employed by the Nabataeans and widespread in Palestine at the times of the Romans. You can also find Nabataean ruins and culture in Petra in Jordan. Five crosses made of a red material were found walled up among the stones of the Holy House. It's believed they belonged to crusaders or to knights of a military order that defended holy relics. Still visible on the north wall, one of the two longer walls, is the wood lintel where the original door used to be. Today, pilgrims enter and exit by two small doors created in the north and south walls. Entering the Holy House imbues the visitor with an indescribable sensation. When I was there, the silence was deafening. There is a definite feeling of awe, intellectual, physical, and spiritual. Some pilgrims, because of limited space only a few enter at a time, appear to be in a trance. Yet others, like I did, gently finger the markings on the 2,000-year-old walls, or simply lean against them for a time, as if to draw strength, as if to feel the presence of Mary and the Holy Family, as if to draw inspiration for prayer, and, perhaps just once in a lifetime, to say the perfect prayer. These hollowed walls seem like umbilical cords to our past, walls which, if they could talk, would let us hear Mary at prayer, Joseph telling Mary about his workday, Jesus as he cries, talks, or walks for the first time, the Holy Family around a table as they eat their nightly meal, perhaps with a guest. This was a family's home, and so you wonder, were there both tears and laughter? Were there hot, dusty days? cold winter nights, sleepless nights? Did the Holy Family ever wonder where their next meal would come from? What we know for certain is that this was a home filled with love. 
While millions of pilgrims visit Loreto each year, no one knows precisely how many have come since that December night in 1294. Just as the pilgrims are countless, so too are the miracles and conversions linked to Loreto. Over the years, many thousands of votive offerings have been left by the faithful for graces received, although only a few hundred are actually on display in the magnificently frescoed treasure room. The imposing Basilica of the Holy House was begun in the latter half of the 15th century. Enormous bronze doors set in the Renaissance-style facade welcome us to the interior, which is in the form of a Latin cross with a nave and two aisles. Twelve side altars fill the right and left walls. As we reach the Holy House, the Basilica widens to reveal 13 stunning chapels built around the north, east, and south sides of the shrine. These chapels were built with the offerings of the faithful, including those from France, Croatia, English-speaking American Catholics, Germany, Poland, Spain, and Switzerland. The artwork, frescoes, sculptures, marble work, and stained-to-glass windows are of such striking, exquisite beauty as to leave the visitor breathless. Make sure you have an excellent guide or an excellent guidebook. The basilica is at the eastern end of the Piazza della Madonna and offers breathtaking views of the surrounding countryside and the Adriatic. It's flanked by an 18th-century bell tower and 16th to 18th-century buildings that house a museum, administrative offices, and those of the Pontifical Delegate to the Shrine and the Universal Congregation of the Holy House. The latter was founded in 1883 for the purpose of spreading knowledge of and devotion to the Holy House of Loreto. The Feast of the Shrine of the Holy House, as I said earlier, is December 10th. Loreto is a pontifical shrine. It has a special juridical status and is administered by the prelature of the Holy House. The prelate and pontifical delegate today is Archbishop Fabio Dalcin. Pope John Paul visited Loreto three times, 1994, 1995, and 2004. Pope Benedict visited Loreto in 2012 for the first time as Pope, but he had been there on seven previous occasions between 1985 and 2002. On March 25, 2019, Feast of the Annunciation, Pope Francis made a brief pastoral visit to the Italian city of Loreto, where he called the House of Mary a home for young people, families, and the sick, where all can find hope in an oasis of silence and piety. Now here's one lovely story I found about the journey of the Holy House of Loreto. It starts... Now, in more detail, here's the story of the first stage in the journey of the angels who carried the Holy House high above the mountains and deserts of the Holy Land, across the expansive Mediterranean and Adriatic seas to Illyria. On May 10, 1291, it quietly set down in the little hamlet of Tersato in Illyria, again now known as Croatia, far from the battle cries of Palestine. It was early in the morning when the local people discovered, to their great surprise, a house resting on the ground. There was no foundation under it. Curious to see what it was, they ventured inside. They found a stone altar. On the altar was a cedar statue of Mother Mary, standing with her divine son in her arms. The infant Jesus had the first two fingers of his right hand extended in a blessing, and with his left hand he held a golden sphere representing the world. 
Both Mary and Jesus were dressed in robes. Golden crowns were poised on both their heads. The villagers were awestruck but confused, until a short time later Our Lady appeared to the local priest and said, Know that the house which has been brought up of late to your land is the same in which I was born and brought up. Here, at the Annunciation of the Archangel Gabriel, I conceived the Creator of all things. Here, the Word of the Eternal Father became man. The altar which was brought with this house was consecrated by Peter, Prince of the Apostles. This house has come from Nazareth to your shores by the power of God, of whom nothing is impossible. And now, in order that you may bear testimony of all these things, be healed. Your unexpected and sudden recovery shall confirm the truth of what I have declared to you. Again, these were words to the local priest. The priest, who had suffered for years from an illness, was immediately cured. He promptly told all the people, and word of this gift from God spread throughout the countryside. Pilgrimages began coming immediately to the Holy House of Nazareth in Illyria. God had chosen to bring it to this little village, and the villagers lovingly responded by erecting a modest, quite primitive building over the house to protect it from the elements. However, the joy the Croatians had experienced at having this most precious gift in their midst was short-lived. Three years and five months later, on December 10, 1294, the Holy House disappeared overnight from Croatia, never to return. Saddened by the loss, Nicholas Fangipani, a devout man from Tersato, built a small church, a replica of the Holy House, on a hill where the original had stood. He placed there an inscription, The Holy House of the Blessed Virgin from Nazareth, on the 10th of May, in the year 1291, and left on the 10th of December, 1294. The people from Croatia continued venerating Our Lady in their replica church. So great was their devotion that Pope Urban V sent the people of Tersato an image of Our Lady in 1367, which was said to have been painted by St. Luke the Evangelist. The people from Tersato, or Fiume as it was also called, grieved over the loss of the Holy House and the image of Our Lady. A Franciscan recalled a group coming across to Loreto from Dalmatia as late as the 16th century. He wrote, in one particular group, there were about 500 pilgrims from Tersato with their priests. They began their procession into the church of the Holy House on their knees, crying and weeping. As they approached the Holy House, they wailed in their own tongue, Come back to Fiumi, O Mary. Come back to Fiumi, O Mary, O Mary. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.